Welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. On today's show, my co-host is Jason Burley. And we're going to check in with the Military Order of the Purple Heart and an Army Corps of Engineers uh, on today's show. But first, it's time for Generally Speaking, a weekly message from the Adjutant General of the Minnesota National Guard, Major General Sean Mankey. Our differences and our diversity are what makes your Minnesota National Guard team strong. Regardless of our differences in gender, sexual orientation, or identity, race, or religion, we are united in our service. What matters in the Minnesota National Guard is the content of your character, your love of country, and your devotion to serve the people in our state and our nation. In the Minnesota National Guard, there are more than 13,000 brave, hardworking, and dedicated women and men who come from many different walks of life. Soldiers and airmen of every creed, color, and background serve together with distinction and honor. Despite our differences, we wear the same uniform, serve in the same state, and salute the same flag. In the Minnesota National Guard, there are pilots and military police, mechanics and cooks, logistics specialists, and cyber experts. These brave soldiers and airmen foster a culture of acceptance, dignity, and respect. Together, we are a team standing shoulder to shoulder and protecting our great state and the United States of America, be it here at home, overseas, or wherever the call might take us. Our differences and our diversity are what makes your Minnesota National Guard team strong. Thank you, General Mankey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. Joining me now is Chuck Jones, who's the adjutant for the Minnesota Military Order, the Purple Heart. Chuck, welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you for having me. Chuck, I want to ask you a little bit about your military experience. You're a fellow Vietnam veteran. Yep. Uh, I put six years in the Navy, but mostly sent off to, to the Marine Corps as a corpsman. And uh, I was over in Vietnam in 66, 67, got wounded three times, and fortunately, I'm still here. You forgot to duck. <laughs> I, even if, if I did duck, I, they still got me one way or the other. Jason, you started out in the Marine Corps. What is, it, what is it about the relationship between a Navy corpsman and the Marines? It's almost indescribable, the amount of uh, love that the Marine Corps has for our Navy corpsmen can't be verbalized. It is just a bond, a, a band of brothers in a, in a deep, deep bond. So you send the Marines in on their mission to break stuff, and if they break themselves, you call, and the Navy corpsmen come over and patch you up, and off you go again. Well, I, I, I wish it was quite that easy. They're right there. They're right there on your hip pocket. They're they're in the thick of it, and they're ready there to tie you up. <laughs> well, Chuck, you feel good about your relationship with the Marine Corps? You no, know, like I said, I, I spend more time with the Marines than I actually did with the Navy, and I was really happy to be with the Marines. I, you know, I, I felt right at home with them doing what I was doing because I think I might have went goofy out on a ship somewhere, so floating around in the ocean. So it was okay to patch up the Marines and keep yeah, going. Yeah, I right. enjoyed it. So we we already decided since you couldn't duck, you got uh, wounded three times. Yep, it was a it was a good camaraderie that we had. Okay, and because you were wounded, you were entitled to join an organization called the Military Order of the Purple Heart. Yep. And uh, the the organization itself is uh, it, our mission is to, you know foster a good environment of goodwill and camaraderie among other combat wounded vets. We promote patriotism. We support necessary legisl- legislation initiatives, and most importantly, we provide service for all veterans and their families. And uh, the Military Order of the Purple Heart uh, for the state of Minnesota, we have. Uh, regional or regional area. We have chapters throughout the state of Minnesota, but and unfortunately, our numbers are 
like most organizations, going down as the years keep going up. And uh, Well, if we aren't getting people wounded, that's a good thing. <laughs> now, Chuck, I want to go back into history a little bit. Uh, this okay. says that the Order of the Purple Heart is the nation's oldest military decoration begun on August 7th, 1782 by General George Washington as the Badge of Military Merit. And yep. Jason, you had some questions about that. Well, I was just curious of its origin and why uh, Washington was on the face of the medal. So maybe you could give us some history. Well, the Badge of Military Merit was a, an award that actually George Washington presented to his troops that were wounded. And it was basically just a piece of cloth that said Badge of Merit. And then in 1932, the organization was congressionally chartered and they wanted to have the award somehow replicating George Washington. So that's how the medal itself came out. It has a picture of George Washington on it. And that's what we go by today. Uh, today, the National Purple Heart Day is August 7th. And that was made in, in 2014. So that's when we celebrate Purple Heart Day. And so the Purple Heart now is granted to soldiers wounded or killed by an enemy of the United States while in the line of duty or someone like you who's out there helping our Marines and forgot to duck. Yeah. Yep, that's about it. <laughs> so let's come back to Minnesota. How many members do we have here in Minnesota? Pardon? How many members does the Minnesota chapter of the, <clears throat> of the military of the Purple we, Heart have? The, the last count I can recall was somewhere around 780-some number members in the state. And uh, actually... A few years ago, when I was the state commander, I recruited the first female for the state of Minnesota for the military order of the Purple Heart. I hope and, you've got more than one now because there's a few more. Well, I know there's a few more, but we haven't got numbers from them because they don't want to come out of the woodwork and let us know about it. We're speaking with Chuck Jones, the adjutant for Minnesota's military order of the Purple Heart on Minnesota Military Radio. Now, Chuck, uh, to belong to this organization, uh, you have to have been wounded in combat, as we said. Yep. And I think when you were on a few years ago, uh, it didn't cost much, if anything, to join. No, we, we basically, if you want to become a member for the state of Minnesota, we actually, our organization pays for your membership. We give you a free lifetime membership. And we did that so that hopefully we could beat the other organizations because most of them require money to join there or, you know, according to your age and how many years you're going to put in. And uh, So you're trying to get all the veterans that have been awarded the military or the Purple Heart to join so they can be recognized and to lend their voice to yours when you go up to the Capitol. Well, that helps. The numbers help when you go up to the Capitol and try to get things passed and put through legislation. So we, we establish the eligibility. We establish it's it's free. Uh, and and who could do that? And, of course, uh, probably most of the corpsmen that ever served with the Marines have probably got a Purple Heart, so they're probably— you There's should a get lot of them, them out there. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about you Marines? You get your corpsmen. You're supposed to protect your corpsmen, Jason. <laughs> Give it our best effort, Tom. <laughs> Give it your best. So, uh, Chuck, uh, your mission of the military, the Purple Heart here in Minnesota, you help in the communities. Yep, we go out into the community and do things for different families. Uh, I know right now the state of Minnesota, uh, the commander and his wife, she's a big generator of funds and whatnot. And I know this past year they've they've gotten uh, places that have 
over an abundance of sweatshirts and different type of uh, sweat suits and toiletries for the veterans. And they go out and they've spent, put almost $40,000 worth of stuff back into the community for people at the vet homes, at the VA hospitals, and uh, anything else that we can help out. Yeah. Help with the homeless veterans, that kind of thing? Yep. Well, that's a, that's a great mission, and, and of course, for, for all your uh, fellow uh, veterans that uh, have been awarded the Military Order of the Purple Heart, come on over and join and help out. Well, well we try to do what we can whenever we can. Very good, Chuck. We're going to have to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the Military Order of the Purple Heart and the Commander's Task Force, which you're a member of. We're speaking with Chuck Jones, the adjutant of the Minnesota Military Order of the Purple Heart on Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. My co-host today is Jason Burley, and we've been speaking with Chuck Jones, the adjutant of the Minnesota Military Order of the Purple Heart. And Chuck, we talked about uh, the fact that uh, you were in the Navy and a corpsman and served with the Marines and uh, forgot to duck a few times, so you got awarded a Purple Heart. And uh, and who's eligible? Anyone that's uh, gotten that award and, and the membership in your organization is free. So come on in, add your voice, and, and uh, let's help some people in the community. But one of the things that you do is, is being part of the eight organizations that are a part of the Commander's Task Force is to uh, combine your, your membership and work on legislative priorities uh, for each of those. And, of course, the, your, the Commander's Task Force is made up of the uh, Military Order of the Purple Heart, the uh, VFW, the American Legion, AMVETS, Jewish War Veterans, uh, DAV, and uh, I think there's one more that I forgot there. I'm, I apologize. But uh, what you do is you meet monthly yep. and <clears throat> and you uh, talk about legislative priorities and things that you want to go up to the Capitol every spring when the legislators come into session and work on some issues for veterans. Yep, that's right. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like you have to narrow down a few things down to a certain number. And right now we're trying to work on giving a property tax relief for for the homes. And uh, that's for the state and county tax entities claim different interpretations of the property tax laws. So this is for the post homes, VFW Homes, American Legion yep. Posts. And yeah. uh, throughout the state we have, I think, it's, uh, half a do- over a half a dozen you know, different post homes throughout the state of Minnesota. and uh, For the military or the Purple Heart. And the post homes, are these are for all the different, you know, homes around the state. You know, the VFW, American VFW, Legion, one, yeah. all of those, yeah. And the post homes for the American Legion, VFW, and the other organizations donate so much time and money and building space in their communities, while at the same time they struggle to remain open. And the CTF would like the state to give... 100% property tax relief to the homes, home buildings available to their communities. So it's a big asset to the communities because it, it's basically another veterans-assisted uh, home for uh, care and whatnot after, you know, they get to be a certain age that need medical care or people checking in on them where they can't get into these other homes outside. So we're talking about the fact that the VFW and American Legion have hundreds of homes. The military, the Purple Heart has some, DAV has some, but they've they've struggled during the pandemic the last couple of years to bring in enough revenue so that they can pay their real estate. Pay their taxes. bills, yeah. And the state the legislature is in a position this year where they've gotten billions of dollars from the federal government, and 
might be able to help might a little bit. Might be able to help out. So that's what we're up there. We're going to go for the Commander's Task Force this year. Uh, we have what we call uh, Day on the Hill. That's Day on the Hill, which uh, it comes up in April or, you know, this month or a couple months from now. And we get um, go in to talk to these politicians. And we have different formats that we have the different items and we know which ones to go beat on their door and tell them you know that hey we need some help or some backing for you from for from you on these different items because we got x amount of numbers that people that vote and votes count that's what they're looking for that the politicians and unless you can shake their cage and get them involved with this sometimes they don't even know about what you're what they're going to or Fighting for. So the Commander's Task Force every year sorts through some issues, comes up with a list of legislative priorities, which is on their on their website, the Commander's Task Force website. Right. And we bring in as many veterans as we can on Vets Day on the Hill yep. up there, and they get a chance to talk to their state legislatures about these things that are important for veterans. And that's part of what uh, you as uh, your organization as part of the Commander's Task Force get to do. We're speaking with uh, Chuck Jones, the adjutant for the Minnesota Military of the Purple Heart. Now, Chuck, I know there there was some license plate stuff that you're working on. Can you tell us about that? Right. Uh, well, yesterday I was at a commander's task force meeting, and today, sometime today, <clears throat> people are going to go out and beat on the doors of some politicians. They want to get veteran special license plates, and the, the ones they're working on is they're trying to get uh, Jewish war veterans of America, get them recognized on the license plates in the state. And uh, they're also trying to get the cost of Purple Heart plates that people have now, trying to get rid of the, the fees that we pay just to have that. And also there's a third uh, license plate they're trying to work on for air metal meritorious plates because there's about 767 bronze star plates in the fleet, and they want to get, anticipate hundreds of air metal recipients will purchase the plate. So they're the three plates that they're working on and funds and whatnot. And this will also include motorcycle plates. So April 20th is our day on the hill that we're trying to bust people in from all over the state and beat on the politicians' doors down at the Capitol, St. Paul. Chuck, fitting in with that, we were contacted by the county veteran service officers and they're trying to uh, get all of the people attention. This is the message they asked us to run. Attention, military aviators. A bill is in the Minnesota legislature to create an air metal license plate, but an accurate headcount of all air metal recipients is needed. Yep. Please call your county veteran service officer and report that you have received the air medal. You can find your county veteran service officer at www.macvso.org. That's macvso.org. If we can get a good count of that, then maybe we get a, a license plate for those air metal recipients. That's right. Chuck, we've just got a couple of minutes left. Uh, okay. uh, it must be uh, rewarding for you as the adjutant of the Minnesota uh, Order of the Military, of the Purple Heart, to be uh, included in the Commander's Task Force and, and have the ability to go up there and work on some of these issues. Well, it is. I think it's a pretty big honor to be able to get in and rub elbows with these politicians, you know, because, you know, Majority of them are probably pretty much down to earth guys, but and gals and gals and uh, like I say, you go in there and you meet them. And when we have our uh, meetings with them, you know they're really enthusiastic about some of the information that you give them. And uh, 
a lot of them weren't even aware of it, that these things are going on behind the scenes because they're just involved with stuff up in the hill and uh, don't get to talk about all this other things. In all so, fairness, they're busy up there at the legislature, but on that day, Veterans Day on the Hill, they kind of focus on the on the issues that you're bringing from the CTF and the veterans that come in and talk to them. Correct. And then uh, this year, we're going to have like a 10 a.m. kickoff. We're going to have like a barbecue lunch from 11 to 12, and then we're going to have a big rally at 1 o'clock, and that's when we're going to go up and talk to these people at the rotunda up at the Hill. So, uh, and you can find more information on that at the CTF website, or you can go to DAVMN.org as the DAV is helping with that and arranging for buses and doing a lot of things. Oh, All yeah. those organizations work together well. Yep. Chuck, I want to thank you for coming to visit us today on Minnesota Military Radio. Well, I want to thank you for having me and giving me the opportunity to get exposure out there to tell these vets, you know, hey, if you need anything, just get on this commander's task force. Give them a, give the website a call. And uh, even for the Purple Heart, we're without a veteran service officer right now for the state of Minnesota, but we go to the veteran service officers uh, office, and somebody there should be able to help you out for something or other. Very good. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you again. That was Chuck Jones, the adjutant of the Minnesota Military, the Purple Heart on Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. When we come back, we're going to talk to a former Minnesota Army National Guard member who's now working with the Army Corps of Engineers. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. My co-host today is Jason Burley. Now, in this segment, we're going to talk to a former member of the Minnesota National Guard who presently works for the Army Corps of Engineers. But first, it's time for the Commissioner's Corner, a weekly update from the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. Now, here's Commissioner Larry Herkey. Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs is committed to reducing the impact of the agency's operations on the environment and society. Here at MDVA, we have several practices that have been implemented throughout the agency to reach our sustainability goals. Our sustainable practices impact energy, water, waste, and fleet planning. Firstly, we begin with the education of the MDVA staff through monthly trainings. MDVA, along with the other agencies, have modestly reduced fossil fuel consumption by over 700,000 gallons through recent purchases of more efficient vehicles such as gas-powered hybrids, plug-in hybrids, and all-electric vehicles. We plan to install electric vehicle charging station at our Minneapolis home as our first commitment to electrifying our light fleet. As a whole, state agencies have reduced energy intensity per square foot through over 308 documented energy conservation measures. To reduce waste, we are expanding organic recycling on our Minneapolis campus. All these plans and practices help MDVA get closer to a more sustainable future. Thank you, Commissioner Herkey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. So I said my co-host today is Jason Burley. And Jason, uh, one of the last positions you held before you retired from the Minnesota National Guard was the public affairs officer for the 34th Red Bull Infantry Division. And we have a guest uh, for the second part of the show that uh, recently retired from that division. Seems only appropriate that well, uh, you introduce him and take the lead. I appreciate it. Thanks very much. Yes, indeed. Today, joining us is Sergeant Major Eric Hansen, uh, who spent nearly his entire adult life in service to the United States and the Army. And at the end of his military career, he achieved the rank of Sergeant Major, serving as the non-commissioned officer in charge of the Minnesota National Guard's 34th Red Bull Infantry Division's legal team, another special staff member. 
Uh, it's great to be with another uh, fellow Red Bull. Welcome to the show. Yeah, hey, thanks, Jason and Tom, for having me today. Uh, we're really, we're really glad to have you, and like to learn about you know our fellow soldiers, folks that are serving in, in in Minnesota. Why don't you start? Maybe just tell us a little bit about your career, how you got started, and why you went to the why you went to the guard. Yeah, it's actually pretty interesting. I started uh, Minnesota National Guard when I was seventeen years old. Just something I always wanted to do was to serve, and knew back then, you know, the only one of the few ways that you could uh, get college paid for was to join the military. So I thought, hey, it's a really good benefit for me and for the uh, and for the government. So I signed up. Had to get permission from my parents back then because I was still underage, but shipped off the next summer to basic training and was part of the Minnesota recruit platoons put op program. So one summer between my junior and senior year, I went to basic, and the following summer I went to AIT. Yeah, it's a really great program. I mean, we split this training between the junior and senior year for our high school uh, students. A great opportunity for them to get started early, and 17 is pretty early to get started. Uh, and you've seen quite a bit of change from the time you were 17 to today. Well, what kind of changes have you seen in the Guard and in the, in the military in general? Yeah, it was really very interesting, too, because I went to basic training. I was actually part of one of the very first platoons at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, that actually integrated both male and female soldiers. So it was kind of a huge, proud moment in, in our nation's history and for the Department of the Army. And some other firsts as well uh, during your time in service. Yeah, so I initially started, uh, I joined up with the 682nd Engineer Battalion in Wilmer, Minnesota. And we also were fortunate enough to welcome one of the first female soldiers into a primarily combat unit. So, you know, that's unique, and those are unique experiences. I remember as we were integrating women into combat arms roles. What was that experience like? Why do you think that we were so successful at doing it? You know, it was really interesting because the initially there was a lot of talk, right? And and we didn't, like as far as like all these all-male units back then, there was a lot of worry because we didn't know what kind of impact this was going to have on the way that we were normally doing business, what kind of accommodations would we have to, how would we have to change our training plans and those kinds of things. Um, but to be honest with you, it was actually very, very seamless. And Minnesota National Guard was the was the first National Guard organization to actually, you know, to be the first National Guard organization to actually allow women in those combat roles, which is kind of cool to be a part of, from right. my perspective. Yeah, it's great to be in that uh, during that time and experience that and and show how we're capable of integrating, regardless of what your uh, gender might be. Served during a very interesting period of time, uh, deployments uh, during during your service. Yeah, it was a really interesting time. The bulk of my my time in the military was kind of during the one of the, I would call it one of our most difficult times as a nation during the war on terror. So there's about 12, 13 years there where there was a lot of combat, you know, operations, a lot of hostilities, hostilities overseas. My, me, myself, I was uh, lucky and fortunate, I think, to have, have been able to serve four times overseas during that period. And uh, I just want to jump in here, Sergeant Major. I understand that you got to learn a couple languages while you were in the service. How'd that happen? Yeah, that's another interesting story, Tom. I, so I left the Minnesota National Guard to join active duty after three years because I, I graduated high school and didn't know what I wanted to do. So I said, hey, let's try active duty. But for some reason, you know, my MOS that I was uh, participating in the National Guard as a paralegal was not available. And so I had to take a bunch of tests, find out which MOS I qualified for. And my recruiter actually talked me into language school. And I thought, hey, it's a great idea. I want to go to college anyway. Why not get a foreign language under my belt? So the, you know, the Department of the Army actually paid for me to go to school 
for Russian basic course, and then subsequently the Bosnian basic course. Your first choice was Spanish, of course. Yes, I, I wanted to. I was hoping to get Spanish, but you have to take a test. So that's the way it works in the army. So I took a test, and I guess I tested a little too high for Spanish. So I got a Category Three language instead of Category One. So how did you how did you use that uh, training? When where did that uh, show up in your in your career? Well, right immediately after I finished the Russian basic course, I got stationed at uh, Fort Carson, Colorado, and found out very quickly that they were already scheduled to deploy to Bosnia for a you know an, uh, an active duty rotation overseas. Well, uh, right after I arrived there, I was notified by my platoon sergeant that uh, they were planning on a deployment, asked me if I wanted to go. I said, yeah, of course. I'd, I'd love to volunteer. He said, well, glad you said that because I'd like to send you back to the Defense Language Institute to learn Serbo-Croatian, which is Bosnian. Now, everybody likes to go back to the Defense Language Institute. Beautiful place. Presidio Monterey. With just a, a great experience. I mean, hard duty, Sergeant Major? Not hard at all. <laughs> Not hard at all. All right. <laughs> but difficult to learn those languages, or was that natural for you, the, the language? No, it was probably the hardest thing that I ever had to do in my entire life, especially, you know, the older you get, the tougher it is to, to learn a second language for most people. And you actually literally have to flip a switch in your brain to accept it because there's really no concrete way to learn a language. You just have to accept the way it is and then sort of memorize it and then just kind of become with the language and allow it, allow it to teach you. And it took me probably, I would say, 10 months during that first, you know, year-long Russian basic course to learn that. It would take me 100 more times that to do so. Jason, I think that was good practice because when he became a sergeant major, he had to flip that switch again and talk like a sergeant major. <laughs> right. Another language altogether. <laughs> We're speaking with Sergeant Major Eric Hansen. Uh, Eric, so that's your active duty experience. And then you left active duty, but then obviously continued a long and distinguished career in the Minnesota Army National Guard. Yeah, I returned back to the Minnesota National Guard after my active duty stint and, and actually deployed with the 34th Infantry Red Bull Division to Bosnia about three months after I came back to Minnesota. I wasn't supposed to be on that deployment, but, you know, there was a spot and, you know, I wanted to go back. So I was able to go back to Bosnia for a second time, which was really, really neat. And you were serving in the 682nd at that time, or had you moved on and changed uh, career paths at, at that point? Yeah, I transitioned to uh, the 34th Infantry Division at that point in time, so it was no longer with the 682nd. And serving with the, the legal team at that point? Yes, in the Staff Judge Advocate's office there in the, in the division headquarters. So tell us a little bit about what that entails. What do you do there? Yeah, so during my career, I was a, a staff sergeant, a sergeant first class, and then also a master sergeant and a, and a sergeant major in, in the same location. And so my role changed over time, but the work that I was doing was, was largely similar. I just took on more responsibility. I would say the biggest difference between, you know, the lower ranks, lower ranks, E1 through E8, was that I was mostly a doer. But then once I reached E9, I became more of a planner. We're speaking with Sergeant Major Eric Hansen. We've got to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about your military career and what you're doing today uh, with the Army Corps of Engineers. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. My co-host today is Jason Burley, and we've been speaking to uh, Eric Hansen, who's a retired Sergeant Major from the 34th Red Bull Infantry Division. Sergeant Major, uh, you were over at the over at headquarters, and you said you went through several ranks, and uh, it, at some point you became Sergeant Major, and the next step was, when do I retire? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess I had, didn't really think about it for too long until I got my 20-year letter and then, you know, uh, started kind of really to weigh on my shoulders, like how much time and I wanted to make sure that I put my organization in a good spot before I, you know, before I decided to retire and I had the opportunity here just a couple of years ago to go on one last uh, overseas deployment, you know, before I, you know, I came back, returned from that and decided, you know what, that's a pretty good cap to a, a long, good, you know, career. So it was time. Jason, that sounds like something you went through a while back. Make sure you got plenty of years in and left the organization in a good spot. Yeah, but and a little bit different, and I think, Eric, we can maybe touch on it just a little bit, is that you were a traditional guardsman throughout your entire career working simultaneously with the Corps of Engineers. So a little bit different in the transition. Many of our veterans are transitioning without uh, you know, a, a job to go to. Um, did that just make the decision easier or how? How did you get to the retirement decision? Yeah, I think it definitely made a, a big difference. You know, I was fortunate enough with uh, all my, you know, previous time with the military, I, I was able to receive the, you know, Montgomery GI Bill. And so as a result, I used it and I was able to obtain a bachelor's and master's degree at St. Cloud State University in uh, field biology and ecology, natural resource biology. So as a result, I was, you know, I got a job, you know, back then, I guess it was also a great time for soldiers looking for jobs because there were a lot of employers that were very friendly towards, you know, service members. And so I got a really good job at the Corps of Engineers right out of college. And, you know, so then kind of just went from there. So then I progressed in that career and I kind of got to the point where I wanted to focus more on that career. And so retirement with the National Guard just made sense at the time. Eric, the St. Paul District of the Army Corps of Engineers is an interesting organization because it's mostly civilians, but it's commanded by active duty Army officers. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It's probably one of the most unique uh, organizations that I've belonged to, you know, being more familiar with military organizations that are commanded by military, but also, you know, involve all military soldiers. In this particular case, you know, we have only a handful of military officers and a couple of enlisted staff that, you know, are in the headquarters office and the remainder of the soldiers. In our case, it's uh, several hundred that are civilians. I understand that's a big district and in the over 700 employees, and there's a lot of work to do and, and valuable work uh, for all the citizens of Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoy being part of the Corps of Engineers. You know, our our mission is, uh, you know, it's obviously not just national, but it's global. And I've been a, a proud proud to be part of the organization for a long time. And right now I'm a, an environmental planner and senior staff ecologist there. And I, I primarily work with water water resources projects, and uh, I specialize in wetlands and aquatic resources. So so you had alluded to that uh, through your military service, you had achieved a, a, a couple of degrees, but I understand you're pursuing a fourth degree now and a PhD. Yeah, no, I have been in school for about 15 years, but I decided uh, recently after retirement, I kind of needed something else to fill my time. And I thought, hey, I've always wanted to, you know, to get my PhD. And so I you know, I decided, hey, let's make some phone calls and talk to a few people and submitted an application, and my application was accepted at the University of Minnesota. So I started classes here towards my Ph.D. just this, this past uh, fall. And what are you studying now? Same line of work, or where are you headed? Yeah, it's a, very, very similar to the same, you know, same work that I've been doing for the Corps of Engineers. It's in the Department of Bioproducts and Biosystems Engineering. And it's essentially it's a conservation uh, PhD, PhD in philosophy or doctorate in philosophy with an emphasis in conservation biology. So when that's the case, are you a doctor, sergeant major, retire? How do you how do you line up all the titles after that? Yeah, to be honest with you, I have no idea. 
so you do a bit of, I understand you do a bit of uh, volunteering work as well in support of uh, our, our, our troops and, and, and veterans. Can you tell us about what you're doing in the volunteer area? Yeah, it's always been important to me because I grew up in Minnesota and, you know, as an outdoorsman, you know, I obviously came back, went to school, you know, to work in the field of biology for this, you know, specific reason to give back to Minnesota. And so I've done that not just through the Corps of Engineers, you know, my education from St. Cloud State, but through other organizations. And I've been a part of, you know, like Ducks Unlimited. I've been a part of Pheasants Forever uh, over the last, you know, 15 to 20 years. But I've more recently, uh, I just applied for and was accepted as a Minnesota Watershed Steward. And then I also work with the Society of American Military Engineers, uh, who also supports the Minnesota Military Family Foundation golf tournament. So what I've been doing for them the last, uh, last few years up until you know, COVID kind of hit here, we have a golf tournament. And so I volunteer my time to help them organize and, and run the golf tournament. Well, it's a, a couple of great organizations, specifically the Minnesota Military Family Foundation, one that's near and dear to us. So we appreciate your support in, in doing that. Uh, we're talking with uh, Sergeant Major Retired Eric Hansen. And as we wrap it up here, let's maybe just talk a little bit about, you know, how you, your service started and what you would say to other young folks uh, today that are considering military service. Yeah, absolutely. Just as I, I started off uh, initially, I thought, hey, let's just go try out and see what it's like. And, and I was looking for the, you know, assistance for education, the GI Bill, because I always wanted to go to school. But at the time, I just didn't know how to pay for it. And so, you know, fortunately, I got in, you know, to the, you know, to the military, went through basic and AIT, and I found out that I really liked it. And so for me, I learned a lot, you know, about who I was as an individual through basic and AIT process. But then I also learned job skills, you know, through the you know, to the Minnesota National Guard and the Department of the Army. And what I would say now to somebody else who's thinking about it, you know, it doesn't hurt to give it a shot and see if, see if it fits for you. You know, if it, if it sticks, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You know, so a lot of people serve for a tour, you know, and then hang it up. But people like me, we, we just learned to – we found out that we really liked it and stuck around for a long time. You know, we've got about 30 seconds left. <clears throat> Anything that you would say specifically to a young person that said – I'm going to go join the service today. Uh, a direction that you would send them or, or, or any advice that you'd give them specifically? Yeah, absolutely. The first advice I would just give them is find, you know, look at all the jobs that are available and find something that you really want to learn. So it's something new to you or something that really is interest, interesting for you. And, you know, make sure that when you talk to the recruiter that that's, that's the job that you get. We've been speaking with Sergeant Major Eric Hansen. Eric, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jason and Tom. Joining me now from the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System is Director Pat Kelly. Director Kelly, welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. Yeah, hi, Tom. Thank you for having me back. Director, I hope one of these things will get to back to some kind of a new normal, but uh, my opening question has to be about a COVID update. Uh, are, we, are we still uh, under special rules at the Minneapolis VA, and, and how are we doing? You know, Tom, uh, thanks for asking that question. And, you know, I think for the first time in two years, uh, in the last two years since we've been talking, uh, things have really seemed to have gotten better. So, you know, I'm optimistic. I, I, I will say that we have still have the same constraints regarding uh, screening and mask wearing and social distancing and, and the rest. But, uh, you know, in the state and, and in our VA, uh, things have gotten noticeably better in the last two weeks. And so I'm very thankful for that. And, and, uh, you know, we we can't we can't stop. We're not letting up, but uh, it sure is good to be able to report that things are uh, much improved. Director, are you still encouraging veterans that haven't gotten it to get their booster? 
Oh, by all means, Tom. You know, we're, we're doing booster. We're doing, uh, of course, the flu vaccine for veterans who still haven't gotten their flu vaccine. That is absolutely still available. Um, but I strongly recommend not only the, the, the COVID uh, series, but also the boosters. Really seems to make a difference. Director, I was recently able to come out there and, and have an in-person visit with my primary care doctor, and that certainly was uh, different after all the virtual visits. But mm. seems to me that what you've learned in the last couple of years about virtual visits with the veterans and, and all of the different ways to take care of the veterans, it's going to stay with us, isn't it? Yeah. You know, so it really works uh, well in a couple different ways, Tom. You know, one is that, uh, you know, it, it helps us to keep, veterans safe and to keep our staff safe, you know, and sort of minimize that exposure when, when we're at risk. And the second thing is, you know, it, it, it really works well for a lot of veterans who, who, who can be seen or, or, or have their needs taken care of without having to drive into the medical center. So, it, you know, it's, uh, it works. And, and, you know, again, it doesn't work that way in all instances and all the time. But with, with a lot of care, particularly mental health care, we have found that it really works well to see veterans either via video or just over the telephone. It's easier for so, them and for us. Director, does that apply to your outpatient clinics as well? Yeah, uh, by all means, Tom. You know, so again, it, it happens that our outpatient clinics are doing more face-to-face work, but that's primarily because they do uh, they do mostly primary care services and they do mental health, and they're doing virtual mental health care for sure. Uh, but but it tends to be more face to face in those smaller uh, clinics, but they are absolutely doing virtual care too uh, in in all of our locations. Director, I understand we're uh, we have National Salute to Veterans Week. You've had some activities going on. Uh, you know this this is one of my favorite times of the year, and and the reason is you know Tom every every year the week of Valentine's Day, the National Salute to Veterans Week is an opportunity for us to bring in. Um, service organizations and community members and community leaders. And, and when they come, we have, a, we have an event uh, in, our, in our flag atrium on the second floor, and then, we, and then we escort them in groups through our inpatient services, you know, again, the, 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 with the purpose of seeing and thanking those veterans who are inpatients at our hospital. And, you know, that's, you know, 250 to 300 veterans at a, at a time, and they get a chance to be recognized and to be thanked and to be rewarded with some Valentine's cards, uh, gifts, that kind of thing. You know, this year it's virtual. So, so me and a number of the veteran service organization commanders and leaders, you know, made a video that we're producing and we're going to uh, have to do it that way this year. I hope next year it's going to be different and back to the same old way. But, but it is a means for us to say thank you to those inpatient veterans who are, who are in our hospital, some of whom are in our hospital for a long time. So they get to see their service organization leaders and VA and community leaders. And it's, it's always a great event. It's better when it's in person, but we're still doing it this year, even though it's virtual. Director, we've got about a minute left. Uh, are you looking for uh, some new volunteers, and are you hiring doctors and nurses? Oh, man. <laughs> great question, Tom. You know, health care everywhere. In the last two years, you know, a lot of health care people have left the profession, sadly. But there has been some stress in healthcare over the course of the last couple of years that have really impacted uh, service or service uh, agencies, hospitals, and others who are providing healthcare. So we are absolutely hiring, and again, we are uh, doing everything we can to create the kind of work environment where the nurses and, and doctors who work here want to stay here, and to recruit to include recruitment bonuses and and and, and resources 
to attract people to come to work for the VA and, and for this great mission that we have. So I thank you for bringing that up, Tom. If there are doctors, nurses, technicians out there who have an interest in working for the VA, you better believe it. We are hiring doctors, nurses, and healthcare providers. And, Director, last question. If they're interested in joining your team at the Minneapolis VA, where do they go? They can go to our website, and on our website, uh, you know, www.minneapolisva.gov, you just Google it. Uh, there's going to be a link there for, uh, uh, for hiring actions or recruitment. Click on that link, and it'll give you all the information you need. Very good, sir. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you, Tom. Nice talking with you. That was Director Pat Kelly from the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System on Minnesota Military Radio. We're just about out of time. Thanks for listening to this edition of Minnesota Military Radio. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us this week, Chuck Jones, Eric Hansen, Director Pat Kelly from the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System, my co-host Jason Burley, Commissioner Larry Herkey of the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, and finally, Minnesota's Adjutant General, Major General Sean Mankey. Please join us next week as we talk about the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs and Minnesota's Navy League on the commissioning of the USS Minneapolis-St. Paul. That's coming up next weekend on this station or online anytime at minnesotamilitaryradio.com. I'm Tom Lyons, and I hope that you make a difference in someone's life this week. Minnesota Military Radio is a production of iHeartMedia, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, the Minneapolis VA, Beyond the Yellow Ribbon, and the Minnesota National Guard. Your host is Tom Lyons, founder and owner of Phelan Partners Limited, a merger and acquisition advisory firm. Tom is a life member of the American Legion, VFW, Vietnam Veterans of America, and the DAV. For podcasts and the latest updates, follow us at minnesotamilitaryradio.com.